0: This is Unfilter, episode 307 for April 30th, 2020. It's been billed as a vital weapon to defeat coronavirus. And tonight, the
1: government is pleading with you to pick up your phone and download its COVID safe tracing app. And for anyone worried about their privacy, we're promised our data will be secure.
0: and welcome into episode 307 of your Corona contact tracing cast. <laughs> My name is Chris. And yeah, it's time for us to dig in deep into contact tracing. In the last few days, the conversation has shifted from should we trace to whose tracing tools and what will happen with your data. Now it's the end of a workday for me, but it's the start of a new unfiltered show for you. After the workday ended, I started digging in deep into the different technologies. I've been provided some links from the audience. I've watched and listened to some podcasts that have covered this, and I've got a few clips for you. And then I went and I dug into the PDF that I could find available that just listed out as just a clear spec. So I could just try to get as best of a technical understanding of it as possible. And now I'm going to kind of consolidate that and present some of that to you. But definitely check the show notes for links and all of that kind of stuff. You'd think... Since this is like a late night version of the show for me, I would have been smart and I would have had a tasty beverage for today's episode. That would certainly make all of this tracking and tracing stuff go down a little easier. So I recommend one for you. But unfortunately, um, it is pretty late as I record this and I was just kind of ready to go. So I sat down in my Lady Joops Mogul mobile apocalypse rig with studio. <laughs> I need like a jingle for that. The Lady Jupe's mobile apocalypse rig with studio. I have an old PC in here that I just kind of threw together where I run uh, Kubuntu and I run Reaper. Reaper is my recording system, and it's got one of these case fans on the front of it, you know, the intake fans. It's one that lights up blue, so it actually lights my feet up, which is kind of nice because it's dark otherwise. And I don't know who, probably some jerk, uh, kicked it or, or or something, I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't know what happened. But kind of bent one of the little fans in, so started making this horrible grinding noise right as I was sitting down to record the episode. Sometimes things go bump in old jupes, and you just don't know what happened. I can't blame anybody, but I did the right thing, and I just went and jammed a doorstop right in that fan just to knock that crap off. So if you hear some strange noise later in the episode, it might be what you're hearing. Something kind of going pew. Uh, That might be the doorstop that just kind of went ballistic, Uh, but I'll try to put my foot in there or something. Now, some are pretending like contact tracing is going to be a choice even. Um, some are pretending like contact tracing isn't going to happen. You know, the old head in the sand
2: technique. In fact, uh, your good buddy Jim Kramer says it's DOA. Other countries are doing rigorous contact tracing. That seems still born here in America. Even as companies like Apple and Google have a fantastic
0: plan. Well, we'll get to that fantastic plan. But I completely disagree with Jim Kramer. It is here, it is already happening. In fact, It's a worst case scenario right now, and I'll get to that as well. That's what I learned after digging into this is it's happening, and you're basically going to have two different kinds of a crap sandwich, and you're going to have to pick the right crap sandwich, and that's what today's episode is going to be about. This is starting to roll out everywhere in the context, too, of reopening economies. Tracing is one of the key dependencies before cities or counties will reopen. You're hearing it
2: all the time. Dave. Zeroing in on contact tracing now, our Joel Eisenbaum has taken a closer look at that tonight, which is tracking people who've been in contact with COVID
3: 19 positive patients. Joel, what are you learning tonight?
4: Chris, let's first take an overview of what local government is doing here in the name of public health, and that is hiring hundreds of people to monitor the citizenry, and when they deem appropriate, test certain members of the population and isolate certain
0: members of the population. Now, this is the part that worries me, is once you're identified as sick, you're isolated. Now, I think it is possible that I have been exposed to it, and I would be... Potentially detected as needing to be isolated. But in reality, I self-quarantined when I thought maybe something was going on and, and I just took care of it. And I'm very thankful and grateful nobody drug me in to be isolated and quarantined, that I had some governance over it. And you're hearing this is a key fundamental requirement to opening the economies. Judge Lena
3: Hidalgo says that she'll have a three point focus to reopening Harris County. Three
0: T's, testing, tracing and treatment test. Oh, the three T's. Seattle has something very similar. My my home city won't reopen officially until tracing is in place. This is a clip from their now Zoom based city council meeting.
5: We are also in the process of trying to determine what the reopen plan looks like. We know that some states have started to go through that phase. Uh, We are concerned with the lack of testing and contact tracing. Um, It is very difficult for us to reopen immediately. So we're going to have to look at that through phases.
0: Yeah, once you get the tracing in, then you have reopening phases. In fact, New York City's de Blasio says contact tracing, key to
2: opening New York City. Now, the tracing is literally hunting down each and every case, every individual who contracts this disease, following up with them and making sure that they're interviewed about the people in their life they've been in close contact with in the previous days, and then following up with those people. And it's the same thing, just continue following it all the way through. If you were in close contact with your cousin, Then we're going to go see your cousin. We want your cousin to get tested. Then we want to see if if your cousin tests positive. Who were they in close contact with? What he isn't saying there is we're going to quarantine them. And just keep following it through every single time to make sure that everyone who needs that test gets it, everyone who then, because they get a positive, needs care, gets it. Imagine it just happening over and over again, and that's how we constrict this disease. We obviously help people, most importantly, help people to know what's going on with their own body, their own health, and get them the help they need to get well. Job one. But it's also how we just drive the disease back day after day. We have to keep doing it. It's very repetitive, if you think about it. We have to keep Doing it to the point where, in a perfect world, we literally can see every single person in the city who has the coronavirus at that time. And we know exactly where they are and exactly the help they're getting.
0: Yeah, got to make sure you get them that help. Now, do you think these politicians have figured out this system all on their own, onesie twosie? I'm just asking you that as you listen to these questions or these clips, I'd like you to think and ask yourself that question. Are they coming up with this system all on their own? And what happens if each one of them is implementing their own technology stack? Because right now, that is exactly what is happening all over the world. But even individual states in the United States are implementing their own tracing program that has its own data requirements, its own storage techniques, its own encryption technologies or choices. And this is a very, very mix-match approach to solving this problem. North Dakota has announced, North Dakota, of all places, has announced a CARE-19 app. And they're so excited about it, the local news media basically gives you a tutorial on air on how to install the damn thing.
5: Out of COVID-19, the North Dakota Health Department launched a new app. Malik Wilson shows us how it works and why you might consider using it
4: during governor Bergham's tuesday press conference he announced the approval from apple to launch a new app called cure 19.
2: but this is a free uh app uh, and this is uh, being announced in conjunction with the north dakota department of health the state of north dakota in partnership with uh, proud crowd
4: i was able to try the app myself by simply going to my iphone's apple store I searched CARE19 as one word. Once it was downloaded and opened, I was given a 36-digit code to identify myself.
0: He doesn't mention too that it also asked for location permissions, which he taps allow in the video. From there, the app began
4: tracking locations that I visited for more than 15 minutes, whether it was the store, work, or any other location.
0: Now, if you are in IT, you know that the most dangerous thing that can be done here is for each state to invent its own policies and ways of storing this information and what is collected. You can appreciate how dangerous that is. But the problem is the general public cannot, and the news media isn't aware of it. So it's not even part of the discourse.
4: All data is anonymous, so your name or other personal information is not needed. The idea is to flatten the curve and stop the spread of COVID-19.
3: The government can get a feel, the state can get a feel for how the population is interacting
2: and get a better idea for when they can relax those uh, requirements.
4: One user says she immediately hopped on board three days ago when the app became available because she felt it was the right thing to do.
5: Because that will give our state government, especially, the ability to make informed decisions for the North Dakota people and it will get us back to normal, whatever that means Uh, Sooner, hopefully, than later.
4: There are already more than 11,000 people using CARE-19, and Burgum says the goal is to reach as many North Dakotans as possible. Reporting for KX News and Minot, Malik Wilson.
0: Yes. So this is their app, CARE-19. And it seems that there is a possibility, although I can't quite tell for sure, that essentially they were donated or contributed a framework of an app by the WHO. So on, a, on March 19th, sorry, I almost said April, on March 19th, 2020, the WHO released a contact tracing template app that they made available to anybody that would really want it, and they made quite the pitch for it in their press conference that day. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. They said in the announcement, there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Your actions will now determine the course of the COVID-19 outbreak in your country. There is no choice but to act now. Do not count on a better option tomorrow. So they've made this template app that states can use. Additionally, the UW and Microsoft have released a contact tracing app, sort of the same kind of thing, a template deal. Um, They are working with uh, New York potentially to use this app right now. So this may be the route that the New York uh, state goes with. And what I find interesting about the Microsoft and University of Washington app, as well as the WHO app, um Gates is involved pretty heavily with both of these organizations. Gates is maybe less involved with Microsoft than ever these days, but obviously there's still some pull there. The one that the Microsoft University of Washington joint created is called COVID Safe, so you'll probably see that one get kicked around a lot in the near future. So there's several app vendors that are creating these template apps that states can rebrand and implement their own backend storage or use their storage, that the range of options is there. It's not just in the States, either.
1: It's worldwide. It's being billed as a vital weapon to defeat coronavirus. And tonight, the government is pleading with you to pick up your phone and download its COVID safe tracing app. And for anyone worried about their privacy, we're promised our data will be secure. To keep us
2: all safe.
6: The hard sell has begun.
2: It's vital to know quickly if you've come in contact with someone who has tested positive for coronavirus.
6: As the government rolls out its high-tech disease detector. No Australian should have any concerns about downloading this app. It is only for one purpose. To recruit mobile phones in the hunt for a virus. It will help us as we seek to return uh, to normal and the Australian way of life. It works through a Bluetooth handshake.
7: Right now, it's the only safe handshake we're allowed to have.
6: (laughs) Bluetooth connects phones that have the app installed. If they're in close contact for 15 minutes, the numbers are exchanged, encrypted and stored on each phone. That's unless a user gets COVID-19. Then health officials will ask to access the data and trace all the contacts. Now this is... ...different than the way the systems in the states work. So here's another approach. Downloading the app is voluntary and the government says the information demanded has been stripped to a minimum. Obviously your phone number, your name, uh, your age range and your postcode. There are reasonable concerns. Just stripped to the minimum. The government needs to work hard to address the very valid privacy and other
2: concerns of the Australian people.
6: Only state health officials will legally be allowed to access the app. All data will be stored in Australia, and it will be a crime to export it. The app can be deleted at any time, and when the health crisis passes, all the information
0: will be wiped. Oh, of course. Of course. That's that's a promise a lot of them are making. And I could see it. I mean, why not just turn it on every time you need it and then turn it off, I suppose. Now, the one that is getting probably the most attention is the Apple and Google joint venture. Because first of all, how weird is it to see Apple and Google working together? But they also got a lot of of attention recently because Apple played hardball with the German and French governments and did not relent on certain requests that the German government wanted. There was a back and forth and eventually Apple won that debate. I think it's worth reflecting for a moment the power the tech companies have during this pandemic. You heard it in the North Dakota clip, all of these though have to go through the app store all of them need apple or google's blessing and apple and google can pull any one of these apps and apple and google were unwilling to budge for governments to change the way their background processing works and they won that's a lot of power and i i think the issue here is and this is Particularly is a is a problem in America. It's endemic, you might say. And and I really see it more than ever right now. And it's this it's this fantasy that technology is going to save us. That that all it will take is a technological solution that the whiz bang kids will be able in Silicon Valley will be able to solve this with the magical tech. And it's not just been a recent thing. This has been a thing in the States for a long time. And it's this glorification of how technology can solve problems. It's the same thing that sells the fitness trackers and all of the digital wellness crap that they claim they put into the phones, which is just to make their board members happy. It's, it's this constant story we're told that the next piece of tech will finally make life simpler. Like the, like the, like the smart assistants. They're not that smart. They're not that helpful. They're useful. They turn lights on and off. That's nice. But if they were really assistants, my smart tube could contact your smart tube, look at our two individual calendars and sort out a meeting and book it and let us know the meeting's booked and then display it on a little LCD screen. That would be a smart assistant. But no, we're told they'll solve our, all our problems. We're told they'll make everything better. But it's junk. It's all junk. And it always has privacy issues and it always has security issues. And you guys know me. I love technology. I have these gadgets. I do podcasts about this technology. I love getting new tech. But 30 plus years of being deeply immersed in every single new technological innovation has taught me something. Technology is not the solution to all of our problems. But this delusion that particularly is strong in the United States has persisted for a very long time. And it leads us like cattle right into the big hands of tech. The race to find solutions during this pandemic has led to a new age of innovation. That includes products meant to help keep us safe from possibly risky things like touching our faces or door handles. Now, he says he leads with the premise that this recent pandemic has led to a whole new series of innovations friends, what they're about to show you is a wristband that well, you're, well, you're about to hear, but they were showing on the air, is a wristband that is larger than the very first Fitbit. It looks like two of the original Fitbits stacked on top of each other in thickness, and what they're going to refer to as a cool new invention to open doorknobs, which is quite literally a 3D-printed hook that a dude... Shout out from his 3D printer and is now declaring as a COVID innovation. And the Tiffany Network, on their CBS Morning program, with their millions of dollars of staffing, (laughs) only got these examples. It's laughable, but it helps prove my point to a new age of innovation that includes products meant to help keep us safe from possibly risky things like touching our faces or door handles charlie daggetter reports on some of the inventions that could eventually become part of our lives charlie people and touch so, their faces all the time all the time people touch their face 23 times per hour You know, it's an unconscious behavior that just happens.
2: Stopping it from just happening is what Seattle-based designer Justin Ith had in mind with his vibrating bracelet reducing the risk of the coronavirus entering the body through vulnerable points. That's
0: right. So it's a ginormous wristband that vibrates when you go to touch your face. It's got an accelerometer in there and it vibrates when you go to touch your face. Then they tout other innovations like uh, barriers on beaches.
2: Beach. And mobile barriers on car assembly lines. How about a Chinese-designed antivirus bodysuit? Or this thermal imaging smart helmet recently deployed in Dubai, straight out of RoboCop on the hunt for people running a temperature, a symptom of COVID-19?
0: Not all inventions need to be so eye-catching. So they go through all these ridiculous inventions, but it helps prove my point that as a society, we often pitch technology as a solution to problems that we're exasperated by. It'll solve this crazy work life that I have that I can never quite get balanced. Technology with its smart notifications and auto timers is going to help me finally get this under control, right? They keep they keep promising these things, and now Apple and Google have teamed up to help solve the concern about COVID-19. You see, what it really, truly, truly, truly is is about giving people the comfort to go back out and spend money. They'll say it's about safety, but it, it really is about playing to your fears because you have been scared shitless over this whole thing, constantly, just constantly with everything getting blasted at you. And think about the people who don't listen to this show and actually get the information directly from CNN or MSNBC and Fox News, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine. Imagine how scary that is. And so if big smart geniuses in Silicon Valley can bake something into your phone that tells you if it's safe to go out and get that Starbucks, well, that's just the solution you've been looking for.
8: Well, Apple and Google are teaming up to work on technology to help reduce the spread of coronavirus. The COVID-19 tracing technology will use Bluetooth to help notify someone if they've been in contact with someone who's infected. The two companies plan to actually roll out this technology on their operating system next month. Nick Thompson joins me now. He's a CBS News.
0: We'll skip Nick Thompson. He's a bit much. Uh, And instead, how about let's go to Steve Gibson from Twit Security Now, and I will link to the entire episode so you can get the full context, if you'd like, in the show notes. But Gibson talks about recent changes that are going into this contact tracing system, which help us understand how it operates a little bit and some of the security implications behind it. And we start with uh, change number one. And there's eight changes total. I'm not going to play all of them. Again, all of it's, because really only five of them really matter, but it's all in the in the show notes if you'd like it. Last Friday,
3: they disclosed a number of changes they were making, um, they said to further enhance the system's existing privacy protections and accuracy. It's like, oh, okay. Well, so we'll look at those. Uh, what are there? There's eight of them. So first, uh, the term contact tracing has been changed to exposure notification, which Apple and Google feel better describes the functionality of the API. That's it. That's what they're they're actually
0: offering is exposure notification, um, which I think is accurate. So that's the new term and the preferred term is not contact tracing, because that sounds scary and tracking. It's exposure notification. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, but some say it's more in line with what it actually does. One of the other more important changes that was just recently made, which solves one of the concerns I had, was some encryption handling of the specific Bluetooth metadata.
3: So third point. Bluetooth metadata will be encrypted, making it more difficult for someone to try and use that information for ide- to identify a person.
0: Seems pretty obvious. Like that should have been in there in the first place. Now, moving on, one of the other changes in there is the amount of time it logs. Because if you think about your spouse or somebody else you're around very frequently, friends, co-workers... That could be deduced by just looking at the amount of time you are around a person. So that has been now tweaked as well.
3: Fourth point, exposure time will be recorded in five-minute intervals with the maximum exposure reported capped at 30 minutes. Okay, not a biggie, slightly more granular, so a little bit of a privacy enhancement. You know, you're not sure, was it seven, was it eight? Nope, we're even going to tell you it was 5 or 10, and we're not going to tell you if they were there longer than 30. So, okay, I can, you know, you could, if there wasn't a cap, you could imagine how you could make an inference if it was like a long exposure, then it's like, oh, I know who that had to be. So,
0: fine. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) It's fine. Uh, And then there was another tweak in there, which isn't really, in my estimation, a privacy improvement. In fact, I'm, I'm wondering if medical experts would even use this, and I wonder why it was put in there. The API will include information about the power
3: level of the Bluetooth signal in the data that is exchanged between phones. This can be used in conjunction with RSSI, that's the Received Signal Strength Indication, to more accurately estimate the distance between two phones when contact was made. And I think that's very clever. That's, you know, so the point is the, the beacon that is sent will also include its transmitted power level so that the receiver can incorporate that along with the received power that, it, it's, a, that its own receiver gets in order to, to make a better judgment.
0: Now, why, though? Because if you think about it, aren't medical officials just going to care that you were possibly close enough or just, i.e. in the same room? And what happens, what happens, what happens if, well, actually, no, you know what, thinking about that, I just thought of a scenario where you would want to discard super, super quick ones. Cause when you're going down the freeway, for example, I'll often pick up the Bluetooth beacons of people around me as I'm going down. I'll see it all the time. Like, If I happen to open up my phone to connect to the car or something and it does a scan, I'll see tons of people around me. And um, I guess you could filter out like under 10 seconds, maybe, or under 30 seconds, possibly. But I could still see medical professionals just wanting anybody you came in contact with, even if it was for a few seconds. who Who knows how exposed they were? It doesn't tell you that. But they just added that feature recently. One of the other things they just did recently is they changed the type of encryption being used. Lastly, the API's encryption
3: algorithm is switched from HMAC to AES. Uh, They said, many devices have built-in hardware for accelerating AES encryption, so this change should help performance and efficiency on phones. That's also total nonsense. Um, I mean, the difference in power in in electrical power for the amount the minuscule amount of data involved in doing AES with hardware acceleration versus HMAC pales in comparison to having your screen turned on. I mean, this that's complete nonsense. But okay,
0: fine. Sure, fine. It's it's um it's a choice now between some rando implementation that the genius politicians at your local government have sussed out however that process might work or do you use the one built into your operating system taking those two choices i would choose the one built into the operating system I think I feel slightly better because Apple's involved and they have a decent track record on storage of information on the phone. We will see, though. That's not a guarantee. But I think to me, it's it's clear. This is already happening. Local governments, the states, countries, are racing now to implement their apps, like North Dakota's Care 19 app, because they want to get something deployed before Google and Apple roll it out and compete and eventually they'll probably be forced to port their apps over to the operating systems apis to be sustainable especially when uh, pandemic 2 comes around but initially it's a gold rush it's a contact tracing gold rush and they're trying to get there before the operating system vendors do and here's the other scary thing there's other organizations that are already way ahead of everybody else the moment this thing started going south the coronavirus. Intelligence agencies for hire jumped on tracking people. They have tons of investment already in tracking the general population, and they can sell that by bulk to governments. And if you think I'm crazy, it's happening now, and it's even being sold to states in the U.S. It's happening around the world, and it's very, very likely happening in the states. A lot of
9: insight you're looking at a demonstration of a new program called Fleming
0: sick people will have red color indication
9: developed by the Israeli cyber intelligence firm NSO it uses cell phone and public health data to identify where people infected with the coronavirus are and who they're coming in contact with
3: what you see on the
6: screen is someone who's sick, stayed in a location long enough so that location itself
0: is regarded as infected. So it's a red dot on the screen and they stay there for a undisclosed amount of time and then this software marks that entire area as infected. They batch this data up and sell that. This is the NSO group out of Israel.
9: Information that could be vital to help governments contain any outbreaks. But for it to work, everyone has to provide their cell phone number and allow the government to track their
2: location. I think that any new surveillance technology to deal with COVID.
0: This is Adam Schwartz from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Foundation. Uh, he is their senior staff attorney.
2: I think that any new surveillance technology to deal with COVID should be of great concern to the public.
9: Fleming is the latest evolution in tracking software to pit public health against privacy. In South Korea, the government is using cell phones and credit card purchases to track its citizens, then notify them if they've been in contact with someone who is infected. In China, contact tracing apps on cell phones are mandatory.
8: I'm Janice mackey Freyer in Beijing, where this is your passport
7: for everything.
0: She holds up her cell phone with essentially a standard-looking ID app.
7: It's a health code generated by your phone that proves your virus free and you need it to book a train ticket, get into a grocery store, even to go to a coffee shop.
0: Now you have to ask yourself, you knew this would happen because we have reached a point where the tech enables this kind of thing. We have all of the pieces. So then it just became a matter of should we use them or not? And the powers that be have decided we should. And we all knew this was coming simply because it's been possible now for years.
9: Even in Westport, Connecticut, police were set to deploy a drone that could monitor people's temperatures. NSO won't disclose which countries are using its software. But NBC News has confirmed NSO is marketing Fleming in the U.S.
0: Yeah, this Fleming thing is pretty great. And they're selling it to the U.S. And um, the really kind of fun fact about the NSO group is... They were responsible for software that was used to spy on journalists right here in the States.
9: The company previously developed Pegasus, a program critics say was used to hack into cell phones of journalists and
0: human rights activists. Yeah, in 45 different countries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the group that's making the tracking app that just works um, in aggregate. So they sell the service to the governments, the governments get the citizens to use it, they collect the data, and then they package it all up, and they give them the information with the heat maps and all of that stuff built right in. Very fancy. It's expensive, but it's a turnkey solution to tracking your citizens, and wouldn't you know it? They've been investing in tracking people even without their consent for a very long time. And these are the types of groups they're getting involved. And now our choice is between groups like that and the operating system OEMs. And I think reading through a lot of reopening plans for economies, if your company, and I think this is the route that a lot of businesses has taken, has essentially been following the guidance that either the federal government or their local government has issued them for having people work from home or when they should reopen, if that is your company, then they'll probably also follow the guidance to implement tracing so that way they know if employees get sick and they can take care of that. Uh, it's just sort of safe for them. It's the, it's the safest thing to do is to follow the government guidance and then manage that. That way they can prevent it spreading throughout the workforce. It seems like a foregone conclusion to me. Same thing for schools, really, I would think, right? I mean, especially if you take out the danger, slippery, slippery slope argument, if you remove that from all of this, uh, because... People really are not aware of all of the potential issues. And you also, frankly, have to remove the precedent-setting argument that this is clearly making, and perhaps the most powerful argument against this contact tracing. My argument is that tech tries to solve everything in our lives, and it generally does a pretty shit job. But I think just as equally powerful, or perhaps maybe even more powerful, is the precedent setting that this is. This isn't the kind of thing that rolls back. And because we have the capability, and this will prove that we in fact have that capability, and it'll prove it at a scale that will be historical, doesn't seem like that's something that rolls back, does it? But the door's open now because we had that capability. So this is where we find ourselves. And I'm pretty convinced that it's going to be pretty widely adopted. The face masks have been pretty widely adopted. I think this will too. I think it'll be like, it'll be like that, like that Australian politician said, it'll be the only safe handshake right now. (laughs) Isn't that funny? There is a bit of good news, though, that's a bit of an X factor that we haven't talked about is you have testing, testing, testing and tracing and of course, treatment. But the treatment angle has just been what we put them in the hospital or we quarantine them. Like what, what can we do? Because once they go on ventilators, it's like an 80 to 90% chance they're going to die. It's a, it's a really, really bad scenario. It's very sad. So the X factor has been, well, what about something that accelerates treatment? Well, today, Dr. Fauci announced good news about a co- coronavirus drug that has worked in HIV treatment that has been showing really good results in COVID-19 treatments.
3: What it has proven is that a drug can block this virus.
6: Very early results from trials of remdesivir suggest this HIV drug actually might treat COVID-19.
3: The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery.
0: Now, the group that discovered this is Fauci's group, but he, he says that it was reviewed by a third-party panel that has no connection, no kind of, um, I, I, he says, interest in the process. Uh, and I, we really have, we have no reason not to believe him, I suppose. Uh, But uh, that that could be really good news, especially for the economy argument. So let's talk about that. But first, I want to do a couple of show update items, if you will. I just have a couple of things to mention. Number one, let me bring up my notes. Number one is uh, I still don't have a tasty beverage. No, I'm kidding.
5: I just can't.
0: I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm putting up a poll before we get into the economy stuff. I'm putting up a poll. It's a straw poll. It's very unscientific. It'll be the top link in the show notes. Should we reopen or should we stay home, stay safe? What is your vote? It's just a yes, reopen or no, stay home vote. And I know there's a lot like it depends and it depends on the data and the numbers. And I know, but I'm trying to just keep it really simple because a recent US survey said that it's a seven to one ratio right now. Americans seven to one want to stay home. And I'm wondering if that lines up with the unfiltered audience. So I'll have that link in the show notes. Or if you have a good memory, uh, I'll just tell you to go to StrawPoll because that's, um, where is it? StrawPoll? I don't even know what the URL. Oh, here it is. Share. It is strawpoll.me slash one. Nope. Just go to the show notes. I thought it'd be easy. It is not easy, friends. <laughs> I thought they were very simple. But top link in the show notes uh, and go vote. I'm curious where the unfiltered audience lines up on this. If the audience leans more towards the open or stay closed. So go vote in my purposefully crappy two choice straw poll. And let's see where the audience lines up with the US public. Also, in throughout this, if you've seen like a great or heard a great clip and you're like, I didn't hear that. I wish Chris would have played that. Or you think you got one that's going to be great for the next episode, join the Discord and drop it in the clips channel. And then just be sure to at mention me. Don't abuse that, but just at mention me so that way you know I see it. Because I'm always farming for good clips and the Discord channel is a great way to consolidate that because right now it's coming in through a lot of channels. So we all funnel it to that Discord clips channel and we're golden. And I try to go through that before each show, but to make sure I see it, you can at mention me. I'm, I try to be in there every day. Like if uh, sometimes when I'm at lunch, I'll jump in there midday or in the morning before I head out for work, I'll jump in there. I really have been enjoying the Discord, so check that out at unfiltered.show slash Discord. Okay. Moving on. Speaker Pelosi says Americans don't want to risk the health. They want to stay the home.
2: Where are we in terms of your level of confidence that as we open the country, we will not get in trouble and be right back to where we were, because not that much has really changed in terms of mass, in terms of contact tracing, in terms of testing. So uh, are you confident right now?
7: Well, uh, the polls show that the American people uh, are wiser than anyone. Uh, overwhelmingly, six to one, seven to one, they say that we should not go out there any sooner than already and that we should not uh, end the social t- distancing. Uh, because of the risk involved to their health. Uh, even though we, we, we operate in three categories. One, the lives of the American people. Two, the livelihood of the American people. Not in any particular order, but lives come first. No order though. And then third, the life of our democracy. So as we go forward, all of these are connected. Uh, All of these are connected and the people's will to say, I'm not going, I don't want to go out there. Uh, until I feel some confidence. Because if you go out there, you bring home what you bring back. See, if you go out, you bring home what you bring back. Okay. To your family and your children. So science, science, science.
0: So if you follow what Nancy just said, uh, what matters the most is how the American people feel. If you go out and come back, you'll bring with you what you got. And science, science, science. That's always her go-to. But you see what I'm saying about how the tracing is linked to making people feel safe about going out. That's one of the reasons it's getting so pushed is there is that incentive to make money. Another big aspect in the economy, we've talked a lot about oil, which we'll get to in just a moment, just a small thing about oil. I think we've talked a lot about it recently, but it's kind of a big deal. But the other, the other thing you've probably been wondering, I know I have been wondering, is what about the home market? Because we've seen what happens when that sucker goes down. Getting some numbers on pending homes today, in addition to the wave of news this morning. Let's get to Diana Olick, Diana.
3: Well, Carl, pending home sales in March fell 20.8 percent month to month, and were down 16.3 percent year over year. Sales Uh were hardest hit in the Midwest, down 22 percent and out west 27% for the month and down 22% annually. Washington state and California of course seeing the first in the economic shutdowns out there. But the realtors chief economist Lawrence Yun says he still expects home prices to hold up for
0: ah oh, dang.
3: the year up about 1% he says. I mean I
0: normally like to hear that. I really do. But um kind of looking at a piece of property, a very very small like 2.5 or point point piece of land, acre, geez, 0.25 acre piece of land right now. very excited about it. You can tell because I'm tripping all over myself trying to even tell you about it. And it turns out, didn't realize this because my first time, it's trickier to buy a piece of land without a house than it is to buy a piece of land with a house. And I was wondering if the recent economic uncertainty would uh, incentivize the seller. So we're seeing could be it could end up getting a really great deal but if prices aren't going to really fall much uh, we'll see about that there is a story that i want to cover that's related to the economy that is really sad we don't normally have very very sad stories in the economic news but you may have heard well actually i'll i'll play the i'll play the clip for you uh, it'll give me a chance to kind of compose myself because this this story really bothers me
8: Well, Robin, an executive order signed by President Trump declares meat processing plants as critical infrastructure that ensures that facilities remain open to uh, to prevent any shortages in the meat supply throughout the country.
0: So they're going to talk to you about this in terms of shortages. But they're they're using that as a polite way of saying they're trying to avoid mass murdering livestock that they simply do not have capacity for. Some cows, but it's mostly pigs and chickens. And in terms of chickens, Tyson Foods alone said they may likely have to kill millions of chickens. Because the farmers are out of capacity and these types of chickens, they're, they're special breeds that are designed for eating. And they get so big after about eight, nine months that they can't even hold, their legs can't even hold their own weight. And it's, it's pretty disgusting and inhumane because they end up rotting in the mud. And the farmers have no, nowhere to put them. Tyson Food has had to shut down their plant because some workers got COVID-19. And so euthanization is the only option. It's the same situation for pigs, too. Well, it's a different situation, but same with the killing. They're not saying that here, but I have, I have very, very unfortunately had a chance to read through what's going on, and it's extremely sad. These animals were raised for a purpose, as brutal as it is, and I, you know, I like me a chicken sandwich, you know, um, but as, they were raised for a purpose, and now they won't even serve that purpose. They, they're just going to be brought into this world— and slaughtered and thrown away. They're just gonna throw them away. And so when they say a food, that will eventually lead to a food shortage because what happens is the plant shut down, the animals are murdered, we have to wait for animals to grow again, we have to wait for the plants to reopen. It's a, it's a, it will cause a significant shortage. It is, a, it is a, a very significant problem. And they are not really being very clear with you on the scope of the issue. But it's it's extremely sad, and it's in the numbers of millions that they have to do this at. And it really brings into focus the scale of the industrial farming apparatus in the United States.
8: Uh, to prevent – any shortages in the meat supply throughout the country. In our area, that means a return to operations at the Smithfield plant in St. Charles. It was ordered to shut down by the Kane County Health Department last week due to an outbreak of COVID-19 among an undisclosed number of workers. Many meat plants across the country have been coronavirus hotspots. There have been numerous shutdowns, at least 20 deaths and hundreds of workers out sick. So
0: local governments have shut them down, but it's created this knock on effect that's backed up the farmers. And now Trump has used the what is it? um, Oh, I'm forgetting it now. The the uh, the executive power he has for ordering companies to resume industry which I'll mention it in the clip here. It's funny because I was listening to a guy talk about it earlier today. And I was laughing at him for forgetting it because it's mentioned all the time and here I am. So what happens when you're cord late. Your brain just kind of starts blanking out. But this has been one of those situations where now he's gotten a ton of shit for it. Um, unions, workers rights groups, uh, MSNBC, of course, and CNN have all come at him for forcing these workers to go back into these conditions. They're not telling you the scope of mass murder that would take place if these, not to mention food shortages, which would just create all kinds of horrible chaos. So it's a really impossible situation and they're not giving you the full story. And it's it's a major disservice on this one. All right. Point made.
8: While processors are highlighting new protocols, including health screenings and operational changes, many workers are still afraid to return.
4: They
1: told me that um, everything was okay, and they told me i have a better chance of catching the coronavirus going out to Walmart than enticing. Come to work, you safe.
8: Limited plant closures have already impacted a massive supply chain for beef, chicken, pork, and other products, which has had a ripple effect on other industries and consumer prices. The presidential order protects processors from liability should workers become sick, and that has outraged unions, and the AFL-CIO has called the order dangerous and wrong. According to the Agriculture Department, there is currently no evidence that coronavirus can be transmitted through food or its packaging.
0: So there you go. Even if they do get it, you'll be fine. (laughs) Oh, man, it's such an awful story. Uh, If you do want to read the details, I have links in the show notes on that. I couldn't believe it. It's one of those stories where. Uh, my jaw was dropping as I read it. And that happens so rarely, especially in economic news, that they could just do that. It it, it just seems crazy. Like, couldn't people come and take the chickens and and then and they could butcher them and eat them? I mean, just killing them and throwing them away is so horrendously wasteful. And some some news media outlets said, well, they're throwing the milk away. And they they talk about it in, in like throwing the milk away. It's, you know, it's really sad to see them throwing the milk away. Yeah. Well, they're also murdering the cows. Not Thankfully, it seems not as many cows, but it's still pretty awful. And it's such a waste of food. Now, the other waste that's happening right now is oil. It is, we is, they're talking about peak global holding capacity right now. When I was a kid, peak oil meant something very, very different. And that just seems like a totally different reality from where we are at today. And if you are down in the California area, you may have noticed a boat party out on the coast. A sign of global economic breakdown floating offshore.
6: Dozens of huge oil tankers sit at anchor outside the port of Los Angeles. Each vessel up to 365 meters long is brimming with tons of crude oil. But there's no place to put it.
0: Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 in this one camera shot. No way. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Wow, wow, that's a lot of oil just sitting there parked. It could be a big environmental disaster if anything were to happen. And just those boats sitting there parked are likely creating a lot of waste, just sitting there. Isn't that isn't that wild? I I just can't. I really can't wrap my head around it. Uh, it seems like oil has really. I don't know. Like like it's. It's really just it's really just gotten so abundant when we were so afraid of running out. Now, wouldn't this wouldn't this be the perfect time to transition away? Wouldn't wouldn't this be while it's cheap, we store up on it, we have a whole bunch of it, we begin it we begin taking that cost savings and investing it in newer technologies. Wouldn't that be something, huh? Huh? Nobody? Nobody? Uh oh. Uh oh. I think my fan's going. Uh, All right. Well, I have one last clip. I want to do one thing in the election before we go. Stacey Abrams, the current top potential pick for the VP candidate for Joe Biden, was asked to defend the recent allegations from Tara Reid.
5: As we start to turn our country back around.
0: Okay, as someone who wants
1: to be as vice president, I think it's important that you, we speak about something that's in the news now. As you know, there is a sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden. The accuser, her name is Tara Reid, tells CNN that the alleged incident happened in 1993 while she was working as an aide in Biden's Senate office. She is claiming... That she was delivering Biden a duffel bag and says that Biden had her up against the wall in a corridor uh, on the hill and violated her with his fingers. Now, CNN has now has now spoken on the record with her former neighbor who says Reid told her about the allegation within a few years of the alleged incident. Biden's campaign says untrue. Never happened. Is this a credible allegation?
0: Now, this is this is a real test. Right? This is it right here. This is the test to see how she does as a VP pick. Can Stacey Abrams handle questions like this for Joe? Because a big part of her job is going to be fielding this stuff as he screws up and gaffes if he's president. Now that's so it's interesting to watch this from that observational point. But there's another observational point I'd like to propose to you to consider. And that is this is the party of supporting me too. This is the party that supports listening and believing women first. We've seen Supreme Court hearings. We have seen senators get outed. We have seen so many public figures that the Democrats have immediately rallied behind the accuser for. It's out there. It's documented. It's unequivocally true. I think we can all agree on that statement. The Republicans have not defended women's rights, have not been advocates as strongly as the left has. So now, Stacey Abrams is in a very unique and challenging place. She has to be now be part of the chorus that is calling for a reevaluation of the standards. She has to speak to these key points. She has to give it lip service and say that women should be listened to and that they have to be considered. But at the same time, she wants to be vice president of the United States. She eventually wants to be president. And her ticket is Joe Biden. So she's got to walk this line in a way that she probably never foresaw. And I think it's amazing to watch the goalpost get moved when it's their guy that could get taken out.
5: I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation and they found that the accusation was not credible. So
0: that's here is example one of the goalpost. So I believe women need to be listened to. So I believe this needs to be investigated. So she has qualified that. So now she has positioned herself and then she has said a credible investigation and deemed that the New York Times is a credible investigation. Now, that is a clear moving of the standard. I don't think a journalist outlet investigating an incident on their own would have been considered credible investigation. I think a credible investigation would be in the court of law, where there is an actual investigation, and sides provide their facts and their counterfacts, and then a judgment is made. That is a credible investigation and process. Sometimes it just starts. There's an investigation done. It doesn't even have to go to the court, right? That's an investigation. The New York Times tasking a reporter to look into things that happened in the 90s. And the way they got to their conclusion was by talking to people who knew Joe in the 90s. And none of them saw Joe finger bang an aid. So, case solved, investigation done. And now all of a sudden, This is a credible investigation. Now, they know that's not true, don't they? They know that's not true. And we see them. We see them doing this. We're all watching them do this. And we're not going to forget that they did this.
5: The New York Times did a deep investigation, and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden I believe that he is a person who has demonstrated that his love of family, his love of.
0: He was, I think she was going to say touching people there. She was struggling for a bit, but I'm going to pause here because this is another standard that's been changed, another goalpost that's moved in the past. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't sufficient to say, I like Harvey Weinstein. I know Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein loves family. That was not considered an appropriate response. That was considered supporting abetting and abiding even that kind of behavior that's this is a total move of the goalpost and standard now you and we're just we're just rolling with He's it the
5: person who's demonstrated that his love of family his love of touching people our community has been made perfectly clear through his work as a congressional leader and as an american leader i know joe biden and i think that he is telling the truth And that this did not happen.
1: So in in 2018, you tweeted it was shameful that Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination was being rushed forward and survivors of violence like Christine Blasey Ford deserve
0: to have their voices heard. Now, this is when I believed that CNN was truly going after this story. They really got caught off guard with that audio from the Larry King show that I played last episode. And now they have to be seen pursuing this. And so... Lemon's the one that's doing the job here, and he's reading this tweet. After the courageous and compelling testimony from Dr. Christine Blasley Ford yesterday, it is shameful Kavanaugh's nomination is being rushed forward. But that is exactly what we're doing here with Joe. We're rushing forward on Joe's nomination. We're going ahead. We're not, you know what? I know there's Bernie. I I know there were others, but Joe's our guy. I know Joe. He's a lover of... Community. Forward and so it was shameful that Brett Kavanaugh's
1: Supreme Court nomination was being rushed forward, and survivors of violence like Christine Blasey Ford deserve to have their voices heard. Are you applying a different standard now?
5: Not at all. I believe then, and I believe now, that women deserve to be heard because too often they are not. And Tara Reid deserved to have her story listened to and investigated. What was happening to Christine Blasey Ford was that there was no investigation. There was a rush to move the conversation forward so that no investigation was conducted.
0: There's no investigation done here either. The New York Times asking people that Joe knew in the 90s does not qualify as an investigation. She knows it. You know it. Don Lemon
5: knows it. Investigation. There was a rush to move the conversation forward so that no investigation was conducted. And as I said, I believe that there was those allegations needed to be investigated. And I believe that the New York Times and subsequent reports... Support what the Biden campaign has said. And so, I believe Joe Biden.
1: So you said you've heard her. You've heard enough. You don't believe her. You believe Joe Biden.
5: No, I, what I'm saying is uh-huh. that the New York <laughs> Times investigation of her allegations. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's what you're saying. Isn't that something to watch, to witness that change, to see them make that standards change?
2: I don't know.
0: I'm speechless by it. Special song for you tonight as we get out of here. I'm just so grossed out by them. Unfilter.show slash 307 for all those links that I've mentioned. Unfilter.show slash 307. Unfilter.show slash subscribe. This show has a as I can make it happen or the news demands its schedule. So just subscribe to get it when it releases. Unfilter.show slash subscribe. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, chrislast.com consulting, one call, and I can save you years of mistakes. And I'll give it to you straight, too.